Good morning, friends. My name is uh, Christian Kuhn. I am uh, somebody that some of you, maybe many of you, do not know. Uh, I'm usually at the South Loop site. You may know that Urban Village is a church in four locations. South Loop is one of them. I'm also the lead pastor of Urban Village. I'm one of the co-founders. So uh, seven plus years ago, uh, Wicker Park was our second neighborhood that we decided to start uh, an Urban Village location in. And I just texted uh, Trey Hall, who's the other co-founder, this morning, telling him I was preaching at Wicker. And he wanted to say, for those who know Trey, hello, uh, and that he misses you. And so, yeah. Um, it's a blessing to be here with you today and look forward to spending this time of worship with you. Um, when I was in first grade, my teacher's name was Mrs. Williams. Mrs. Williams had this really interesting chart on her wall. She wanted her students to go to bed every night at 8 p.m. I have no idea where she came up with this. Maybe back in the day this was a study saying children should go to bed at 8 p.m. I don't know. But she wanted her students to go to bed at 8 p.m. And so every day she would have the students who went to bed at 8 p.m. line up and you would go over to your name on the wall and you would put a star by your name. And we did this every single day. Now, here was the problem. My parents said I could go to bed at 8.30. So I was not going to put myself through that, go to bed a whole half hour earlier in order just to get a star on the wall. But the first couple of times they did this, I felt a little bad because here were all my friends, the 8 p.m. Uh, bed attenders, lining up and getting that nice star. This happened for two or three mornings. And then notice by my name, Christian, there were no stars. So you can imagine how that feels. So what I started to do was to lie. And that meant that on the next day, I lined up with everybody else. Even though I was going to bed at 8.30, I lined up with everybody else and put a star by my name just like everybody else. But after a while, something just didn't feel right about that darn conscience, you know, that's working within you. And so I tried to figure out, what do I do now? There's a, a few stars up there that I did not earn. So then in my head, I tried to do something, that, and I did it this way. I went and I started to actually go to bed at 8 o'clock at night, but I didn't put a star by my name to kind of even things out a little bit in order so I could fully, like, be right with Mrs. Williams and at the time my version of God, perhaps even too. So even at that young age, I had a sense of there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, even when it comes to what time you go to bed at night. I think perhaps there are some, maybe many of us, who sometimes feel that way about how we live our lives. At least that's what culture tells us. There is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. There is a good way to do things and a bad way to do things. And we think about that too, especially in our culture, when our culture tells us to live the good life. And culture has a particular way of framing that. This is what it means to live the good life, which isn't necessarily how we would define it as the way Jesus lived his life. But we get swept up into culture's version and definition of the good life. So that's what we wanted to talk about in this sermon series. I know you've already done that for a couple of weeks. And we have tried to reframe it in a way to talk about what does it mean to live the good enough life? And how does that compare to living the good life? So we've been unpacking that uh, the last two weeks. 
And if you may be on board with that, if you've been giving some thought to that and living, what does it mean, the good enough life? And so then we get to a point, well, I'm there. I want to actually live that life. I want to live that good enough life. But how do you actually do that? Are there instructions somewhere in the Bible, uh, in some scripture, in the back of the Bible, reference something that tells me how do I live out that good enough life? Well, for those of us who are Jesus followers, who are at least interested in being a Jesus follower, we look at Jesus' life to see if there are ways that he instructs us or shows us on how we actually do this. How do we actually live out the good enough life? And we read that a little bit in our passage today. So to give us a little bit of context about how we got to this passage. So this is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark 12. Mark has 16 chapters. If you look at Mark 11, this is perhaps one of the biggest high points in Jesus' life. If you ever go to church on Palm Sunday, this is the passage that they read every Palm Sunday where Jesus makes this big entrance into Jerusalem. And people are shouting Hosanna to his name, waving these various kinds of branches and so on, lying their coats and cloaks along the street as a way to praise Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. But an interesting thing happens. As soon as he has this huge high in life, then he goes into all kinds of conflict. Like right after he enters Jerusalem, you may know the story of Jesus going into the temple and turning over tables like creating all kinds of chaos in order to let people know there is one way to worship God, and the way that you are doing it here is not that. A kind of public display of uh, speaking out against the powers that be at that time. And then Jesus gets into these arguments with the religious authorities at the time, and they start questioning him about what does it mean to pay taxes? What does it mean to have the authority that you think that you have? What does it mean about the resurrection? So Jesus is getting into all kinds of conflict with religious authorities. And so when we get to the point today in Mark 12, you may, we may think that when somebody asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus starts talking about conflict resolution because of all that he has been going through and all the uh, disagreements and fights that he's having with those in power. But I want us to take a close look at this passage today because here is this scribe this member of this religious authority, who I think scholars believe kind of pulled Jesus aside, and I think probably is interested in what Jesus has been saying to everybody about the way it is to love and live and follow God. And so the scribes pulls Jesus aside, and I think very earnestly says, so what's the greatest? What's the greatest commandment? And as he asks this, I imagine there are people who are surrounding them whose ears perk up because they want to hear that answer too. Yeah, what's the right way to live my life? What's the one thing that we should follow? What is the thing that I can do so that I can put that star next to my name? So everybody's listening to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus looks at this scribe and looks at others around him, and he calls upon his own religious upbringing. Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus then shares what's called the Shema. When you look in the Older Testament, it's from the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, hear, O Israel, this. The way to live this out, the greatest commandment, 
is to love God. To love God with all that you are, your mind, your strength, your soul, everything that you have. To love God with all that you are. And then Jesus says this. Then Jesus takes a little bit from the book of Leviticus. And he does a remix. And he brings these two things together. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things Jesus says. This is the greatest commandment. This is the thing that you should do in order to live and love God in this way. And the scribe, if you kept reading the text, the scribe is impressed with his answer. And Jesus and this man have this really interesting, pretty healthy conversation about what it means to live this life. Now, we may have heard this before. We talk about what does it mean to love. And when we think about how do we live this good enough life, and if our first verb is to love, you will get a lot of head nods from lots of different people. But we wonder ourselves, what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean to love? Especially when we pay attention to what Jesus says here, when Jesus says to love with all that you are, your heart, mind, strength, soul. So if we pay close attention to that, when Jesus says, bring all of yourself into loving God and loving neighbor, then that means we bring all of our, all of our stuff into this. Have you ever gone on vacation and packed a bunch of stuff in your suitcase, and then you get to the place where you're going, and you look at your suitcase, and you realize, why did I bring the things on this trip with me? I have overpacked. I think sometimes we forget that we think about loving, like bringing all of ourselves into, at least this is what I do, I think about I'm bringing all of my good things into this whole love thing. I don't think about the other stuff that I would rather not acknowledge or that I don't want people to see. Sometimes in church we call that sin. But that's part of the whole process too. We bring all of our things into loving God and loving neighbor, all of who we are. Some of you may know here at Urban Village we have uh, what we call our church without walls uh, effort, that we want not only to be a diverse church, but we want to be an anti-racist church, that we want to look at who we are as an institution, our structures, our staffing, how we organize ourselves, how we worship, all of these things, to look at what privilege, what white privilege is embedded in here, and what can we do to eradicate this. Some of you may have gone to the workshop that we had last fall. We're also going through this audit. There's an external organization called Crossroads that is working with us to uh, look at all of these things. And I'm on this audit task force. There are about a dozen of us on this task force. And some of the conversations, as you might imagine, can get a little tense. Because when you're asked to look at your stuff, especially for me as a white straight man, there are times I don't want to look at my stuff but I'm called to do so. And so some of these conversations forced me to look at this. So at our last meeting, we were gathered at this table and having these conversations, and I have these familiar feelings of discomfort because it's not comfortable to look at my stuff. But also at this meeting, an interesting thing had happened. Emily McGinley, who's our Hyde Park Woodlawn pastor, did a great thing. She brought Garrett Popcorn to the meeting. If you live in Chicago, you probably know Garrett Popcorn. As you walk downtown, they have different locations, and they do this really wonderful marketing thing. As you walk by their stores, they pump out the aroma of the popcorn, and so it's hard to walk by a Garrett popcorn and not at least linger for a moment and just 
take that in. And then you may look at the line of tourists and you'll say, well, maybe another time. <laughs> but Emily had brought Garrett popcorn for the meeting. And so she passed it around. And I took some cheese and caramel popcorn and put it on the napkin, the Garrett napkins, in front of me. So we're having this conversation. I'm feeling the feelings that I have within me, these uncomfortable feelings. And then I look down at the napkin. Now, I think we have a picture, uh, Mick, up here. I look down at the napkin that my popcorn is on. Garrett has this marketing slogan. I don't know how long they've been doing it. But there's this hashtag, love is messy. And I looked at that napkin, and I thought about the conversation that we were having, and I just kind of laughed, which probably wasn't appropriate in the midst of this conversation we were having. But I felt like I had to name the fact, love is messy. If you are feeling at all inspired to tweet today at UV Church, or feel free to do so on Facebook, whatever, use that hashtag, love is messy. When we think about loving God and loving neighbor with all that we have, we bring all of ourselves into this. That means that love is messy because we are messy. It means that we will love imperfectly. That's what it means to live the good enough life. If we're serious about what it means to love in this way, it will not be perfect. We will color outside the lines. There will be days we don't get a star, or we'll put a star that's slightly askew, or the star will fall off, or whatever it is. Because love is messy. If we're serious about what it means to truly love in the way that Jesus talks about here. Now, again, we may ask ourselves the question, well, how do we do that? How do we actually love God? I'm sure I could ask all of you this question, and you would give me some really wonderful answers. We love God when we pray. We love God when we worship together. We love God when we seek the scriptures. We love God when we meditate. We love God when we fast. We love God when we keep the Sabbath. We love God when we do the things that we did yesterday and go out and, and march in this way. All kinds of ways that we can love God. And then we ask ourselves the question, well, how do we love our neighbor? And again, we can have all kinds of wonderful answers. UBC Wicker Park, I say this, I am somewhat partial to UBC South Loop because that's where I usually am on Sundays. But UBC, Wicker Park, to be honest, kicks the butt of the other sites when it comes to justice. Really? I feel good about that. And I say that as a challenge to the other sites. You guys are awesome when it comes to that. And you saw that today in the way that you showed up last Monday, the way that you showed up yesterday. Some of you have gone out to Washington, D.C. yesterday, and we called out all of the different ways. Mary called out the signs that we saw and the people that we are there for and the people that, the, who we are as we go out and march, and we think about it, we are loving our neighbor when we do these things. Amen? Now, when we think about loving our neighbor, sometimes, though, we think about what it means to love our neighbor in the abstract. We think about groups of people that we love, and we say, yes, and I'm going out to march, and I'm going out to call my legislator, I'm calling out to love my neighbor, these groups of people, I am there for them. We let us continue to do that. Please continue to do that. Love God in those ways that I mentioned too. What I want to also challenge us to do today is to think about loving our neighbor, and I mean that literally. What does it mean to love our neighbor with all of who we are, all of our stuff, meaning how will you love the person that you are literally sitting next to today? How will you love the person that you live next to in your condo building, your real neighbor. 
Now, again, I'm in the South Loop, and in the South Loop, there are a lot of high-rises. Whenever I ask people, so, do you know your neighbors? Most of the time, they kind of look sheepishly and say, well, there's the guy with the dog down the hall. There's the person that I say good morning to on the elevator. What does it mean to love the person that you are the close, in close proximity with, your coworker, the person that you sit next to in class? the person that you buy coffee from every single day. That's where it gets a little messy sometimes, because that's when we might really screw up. But I think, in addition to loving God in these ways, to loving neighbor in the way that you all have been doing, such wonderful ways, it also means, I think, to really love the person that you're actually neighbors with, the person that you are next to. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Because that's when it gets real, and it gets a little messy. There a couple of years ago when I was feeling this strong urge from God to live into this love your neighbor thing and love the people that you are actually in close proximity with, and as many of you, I'm sure, spend lots of time on the train, and so I thought, I'm going to love the people that I see on the train. Because I'm more of an introvert, so often when I'm in the train, I go and sit down and I put my head in a book or on the phone, or something like that. And sometimes when I'm on the train, I really don't want a whole lot to do with my neighbors on the train. I just want to put my head down and get to where I'm going. But there's times when I'm particularly inspired, the Holy Spirit's working in me, and so I look around and say, all right, I'm called to love the people who are around me. So on this particular day, I was feeling extra Jesus-y, and I had my devotional that I have and take with me sometimes. In the morning, I have this devotional that I use and read the scriptures and pray, and I have this with me, and I'm standing there, and there's this woman who's standing next to me. And she says, oh, and she made a comment about my devotional. I said, here we go. I'm loving my neighbor. Isn't this awesome? So I start talking with her, and she starts sharing her story with me. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know I was a pastor or anything like that. She started telling me her story about how she had recently lost her job and how things are really hard for her. And I'm listening to her, and inside I'm imagining Jesus is just patting my back because I am loving my neighbor. Look how I am loving my neighbor. This woman, I'm listening to her. I am the shoulder that she can cry on. We are neighbors in this huge city, and I'm just feeling really great about myself. And then she goes back to my devotional, and she says something like, you know, I would really love something like that to help me in my prayer life. Now, I don't think she said that as a way, as like a fishing expedition. Like she was actually looking for me to do what I was about to do. But as she said, you know, I could really use something like that. All of a sudden, that Jesus who was patting me on the back, all of a sudden I sent saying to me, give her the devotional. And then all of a sudden I didn't feel so neighborly. Because this devotional meant a lot to me. You see, there's a retired United Methodist bishop by the name of Reuben Job. And I have read, he has edited several kinds of devotionals. Since the year 1990, I have used his devotionals every single, well, most days. These are the devotionals that I use in my life. I become very attached to them. Do you have a book or a journal or something that you just pour yourself into and you have a sentimental attachment to? And I treasure those possessions. I hold them dearly. I mean, they literally have my fingerprints and, and marks on them. And I treasure these devotions, more so perhaps than any other book that I own. 
And on this day, as I thought I was being such a good neighbor, and I sensed that God was saying to me, that Jesus was saying, you're such a good neighbor, I think you should give her this devotional. And my first reaction is like, oh, Jesus, I don't think so. Because I really like this devotional. And did you notice how I was listening to her and being a neighbor that way? And Jesus said, yes, you were. Give her the devotional. And so I said, would you like this? And I kind of thought she'd say, oh, no, I couldn't dare take that. And she looked at me, and she said, thank you. And she received it. And I kind of said, you're welcome, with a little bit of a forced <laughs> smile on my face. And we went on our way. And later in the day, I really did feel like that's what the faithful thing was to do. That, in that moment, that's what it meant to be a neighbor. And then the story continues. I then blogged about that, about that whole process. That blog got into the hand of an old seminary professor of mine who knows Bishop Reuben Job. He passed that story on to Bishop Job. And in the mail about a month later, I got a package, three new devotionals from Bishop Job. And in them he wrote, with much love and appreciation, Reuben Job. And I get a little choked up every time I tell that story. And what it says about so many things. Loving our neighbor, loving God, doesn't always go the way that we think it will. People don't always return our love. Stories like that don't always have a happy ending. Sometimes we will be faced with anger or rejection or ignorance when we share our love with others. That's what it means that love is messy. Sometimes we will love imperfectly, that we will say the wrong thing, that we will make the wrong move, that we won't quite do perhaps was just the right thing just in that moment. And yet I go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when we are called to love, what I think he is saying, to live the good enough life, that means we bring our whole selves into the process. Our goodness, our beauty, who we are in the image of God, and also the stuff that makes others angry, that makes ourselves angry, our sin, all of that stuff. We bring all of ourselves into loving God and loving neighbor, loving the people that we are there to seek justice for and with, and the people who are literally right next to us. But that is our call, friends, to be faithful to Jesus' call on our life, to live the good enough life, means that we love with all of who we are, to love imperfectly and to love messily. And at the end of the day, regardless of how that looks, I think we can still put a star by our name, a star that may be a little crooked, a little bent, but still it's there as we bring our whole selves into this whole life of how Jesus calls us to be. Would you please pray with me? Loving, holy, and gracious God, I'm grateful for all of those who are gathered here today. I'm grateful for the amazing ways that this church lives into seeking justice. They go out in the streets, that they raise their voices, that they tell the powers that be that we are here. Lord, I ask that you help us to love with all of who we are to love you and our prayer lives and reading scriptures and 
and being in life together. I pray that you help us to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors, and help us to take that step forward, to do so messily with imperfection, knowing that you are guiding and directing and loving us every step of the way. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.